Welcome back to Back in My Play. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and um, you guys aren't going to believe it. It's another episode of Back in My Play. How consistent for a show that was gone for nine months. But, uh, of course, it wouldn't be Back in My Play unless every couple months I bugged the crap out of Mike Micah to come on the show to hang out and talk about old video games, new video games, and all the crazy projects over at Digital Eclipse and, of course, Other Ocean as well. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's awesome to be back on the show because I'm as a fan of the show, too. It's it's like to me, it's just amazing to be able to come back onto it after a, a little break. And it's 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 one of those things where I I kind of forget. Uh, yeah, people listen to it until it's gone. And then I keep getting messages and tweets and emails and all that stuff asking for it to come back, which is always great. And uh, of course, very thankful for that. But um, man, yeah, again, of course, a lot of the stuff that we've done over the last like five or oh God, do I, I don't maybe five years um, was really the the chats that we have. So I know people are very hungry to uh, to hear from you again. And I, and I think maybe maybe the first place to start and just some of the stuff that I was um, obviously following you on on Twitter. I've been on the sidelines, but still trying to stay up to date. And, and and you cleaned your office, <laughs> so um, I, I mean, is that is that is that a complete project? If people haven't seen your office. It it kind of looked like, um, not like the warehouse in Indiana Jones. Like that was very neat and clean. <laughs> but you, you got you kind of had like all these amazing things just hanging out around the office. Yeah, there's this old show I used to watch, the Ray Bradbury Theater, I think it was called, where the camera would go through like his house and down to his basement room where he writes or whatever it is, and there'd be just junk everywhere. Oh, but wow. it was cool stuff. It was like, oh, there's the Maltese Falcon. There's all this yeah. stuff. Like, I had, I always thought I had kind of the equivalent of that with video game ephemera, um, but it started to turn into basically just a giant junk pile, and so I had to do something. And what I thought was going to be a, a quick like few days turned into like a couple of weeks of hardcore work. But now it's super clean. Yeah, it's easy to find things. I have things all set up and lit up. I'll post pictures after the podcast. Uh, I just took a picture of us getting ready to take or go on the podcast. Awesome. Um, and so people can see what it looks like. But like for people who've been here, it's been a mixed bag because some people are like, "I loved how junky it was," and it's like, "Oh, really?" Well, you could just stumble <laughs> across like anything. Like you could stumble across like this unreleased game, or you could stumble across yeah. like this super rare thing that someone like would only see behind glass or something like that. So, yeah, I totally understand the appeal of that. But the keyword there was stumble, and that's that's why I had to fix yes. it all up because somebody could step on something that was actually more priceless than it should be, and uh, in a situation, so it's I had to fix it up a little bit. And and you, for folks that don't know, you're in California, like you have earthquakes and. And you had yeah. high shelves, you had CRTs, and I mean that's one way to go. But you know, better to you know, we, we want to have nice long lifespans. Like maybe in you know, once we're past a hundred years old, like having a CRT fall on us on the way out, maybe not too bad of a thing. Could be worse. But I mean, if you're gonna go, <laughs> if you're gonna go, especially if there's like great, you're, you're like playing a great game, and you just like got you know the best <laughs> score you've ever gotten, or you finally finished you know Zelda two because it was you know kind of unfair, but what going through this process did you like just again stumble upon something like oh my god i can't believe first i totally forgot i had this or i can't believe i was just like sitting behind this like box uh, absolutely that i mean that was kind of why it took so long too because i would just open up a box and find a copy of of early version of final fantasy or whatever and be like oh, how wow. did i i don't even yeah. remember having these or even knowing i got them and some things I don't think I ever knew I had them because I would hook up systems. Now I have like all these systems laid out so they're easily accessible. Mm -hmm. And um, I would just open the system and I could have bought this like years ago and never even looked inside of it. And there'd be like a disc of some prototype or whatever sitting there like, wow. And I think a lot of that is because uh, people would give me their old equipment 
and they weren't even thinking about what could be in it or whatever. So, well, you're the it, guy. You're the guy. I, I remember in, in some video, uh, might have been the Area Five stuff that you did. Like you, you'd just be the guy where people would just, you know, once they had game stuff that they didn't want anymore, they would just bring it to you and drop it off at your house and like, all right, well, Mike, you're the guy that I trust with this stuff. Um, good luck. Yeah, that's exactly how it happens. And uh, literally, it happens that way. People will just drive up with a trunk full of stuff and be like, it's yours, your problem now. Well, that, well, <laughs> like, that okay. I, I mean, along with this, like I, I saw your, uh, again, really, really cool stuff, just backing up source code, like backing up these these prototypes, these early versions of games. And especially, I was seeing like you were doing some arcade stuff. I think it was like NFL Blitz where, yep. you know, for, for folks that don't remember back then, you could you could walk into your arcade every month and see a new version, you know, point whatever of the, the games that you're playing, especially when it came to those midway games, fighting games and stuff like that. They were like constantly balancing things out and adding in Mortal Kombat, like fatalities or babalities, whatever. Um, so like, how, how's that process been going to like what, again, I can, I can only imagine like how time consuming that must be. It really is. I have a machine set up to my left right now that is just backing things up because as I started cleaning up the office, I also started cleaning up a bit at home and I just kept uh, like kind of collating the prototypes into piles and into boxes. And so after that was after I got through kind of a first pass of all that, I found out I had probably around two or three hundred just CDR prototypes. Oh, my that God needed to be backed up and like the the more i wait on this stuff the the more risky that is unreleased games too like it wasn't just like games like i mentioned blitz or something but like these are games that some never saw the light of day absolutely and so i just started going through every single one of those and there's certain games like for wii and that sort of stuff that i have to have special hardware for but luckily frank cefaldi who's right next door video game history foundation has the equipment for that so i've been kind of like divvying up the piles and getting stuff to frank and getting stuff to some other people to make sure this stuff gets backed up well, I mean, like that was kind of my next question is, what does this setup look like? Like, I mean, do we, is this something where you need to have a, a zip drive next to it? Like a couple of different, like a CD drive, a DVD drive, like, and even like those, um, you know, you know, something that you can put old carts in to, to get the stuff off the ROMs? Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. So like I have um, like the analog NT, which has some cart backup stuff for That's NES right. stuff. I have um, various versions of CD drives. Like I just got a new CD drive that my brother recommended that uh, has a custom firmware that people have created for it that lets you read specific file formats right. through this kind of like multi-purpose CD drive. It's a USB drive, which is great. It's been able to get through some of the discs I couldn't read before. Um, and then, yeah, and then I go out to different people who have different uh, setups for that because I, I don't want to recreate like a, an Apple II setup when I know – I can just go to Foon and be like, here, like back this up and uh, that sort of stuff. So I'm just making sure I have everything in the right piles and that those piles are going to the right people. And uh, the fact that it just gets backed up and uh, these files get stored somewhere for uh, for people to be able to reference later is, is the, the goal. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can only imagine like that. Like, is this like a RAID hard drive thing, too? Or is it, are you trying <laughs> yep. to store this up on, up on the cloud? Like, in a, again, like you said, like, like what kind of what kind of outlets are you are you sending this t- stuff to? Is it like museums and things like that? Like Museum of Play? Yeah, that, that's that's the ultimate goal is like right now I'm backing up to the cloud and to a RAID drive. And I'm making sure that Frank Cifaldi and the Video Game History Foundation has these as well. Awesome. And then from there, that gets sent out to whoever it makes the best fit for it. So I can imagine like the strong or the video game uh, history museum or all these places that, that would probably take these with open arms. That's where they should go. Still one of the coolest things. And, and this is, I don't even know, I don't have a concept of time because I don't remember the last time that we, we did a, one of these shows, but the, 
maybe it might might have been six months ago, it might have been longer. Uh, Frank shared the unreleased version of SimCity for the NES um, with a, lots of great documentation and the actual ROM. You could play it, and it was always really weird because if you watch Seinfeld now in HD or on like Hulu and stuff, you can actually see that. I don't know if you ever found out why Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld, in his fake apartment, had a copy <laughs> of SimCity for the NES that never came out. Um, but that again, it was just like crazy stories about about stuff like that that is incredibly valuable for the community and for, of course, the history of video games. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at like kind of the stuff Frank's doing, not only just like that with like you have SimCity and stuff, but like he stumbled onto the the fact that there's been so many like plug and plays that have come out that uh, over the years that actually have an NES, like kind of that fake NES chip inside. So these these were NES really? games being developed into the 90s and the 2000s on NES hardware. You can rip those ROMs and they run on an NES. So it's almost like there was this second industry of NES games being developed that most people didn't think twice about. And so we were, like Frank's been coming to my office and trying things out uh, on the TV I have in here, uh, these plug-in plays to determine whether it's a NES hardware or not. And there's this amazing fishing game he's he's found. This like um, there's this awesome game yesterday where we're looking at this poker game that has like we were trying to place the music. And I think he's 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 tweeted or he's going to tweet uh, the audio from this game because like it's this kind of cheesy, decent poker game. But the music's clearly clearly it's not their music. I think they ripped it from another game. But because like, when you finally get into the game, the music is horrible once you're in. But it's like that music, though, what is that from? And so we're sitting there like trying to use Shazam and everything, trying to figure out like, what is this music? But uh, I think somebody else is going to have to figure that out for us. Yeah, I got to. Um, yeah, I, again, like Video Game History Foundation, like if you guys aren't already supporting that through through Patreon, again, that's why I got to check that stuff out. Um, I really should throw that ROM on a NetverDrive and, and go and try to play some SimCity on the the nest just because that's like that's probably one of the coolest things that we've seen in the last couple of years in regards to just like things that were found like games that were complete and these are things that are just sitting in people's basements or garages and, and all that stuff and it should be preserved that's really important stuff let me let me ask you a little bit and we're gonna this is one of those episodes where we're gonna go all over the place um but I want to ask you, because now that we have two new mini consoles coming out in the foreseeable future, we had one that came out, I guess it was, it might've been at the holidays where the PS1 classic came out and then kind of bombed. Like, I think literally this morning you can buy them for 20 bucks on Amazon and at Best Buy, um, was not the success that, uh, Sony wanted, but also at the same time, wasn't up to the quality standards that the consumers wanted. Right. So, um, it's it's really unfortunate that 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 happened, but maybe they can get a take another shot at it. Where that's basically what Sega is doing right now. The embargo kind of lifted the other day on the previews for this Genesis Mini, uh, and of course now Konami is keeping their feet in the video game industry by releasing a TurboGrafx 16 and a PC Engine Mini um, as well. So I was just kind of curious if you had any thoughts on on either of those consoles, just because again it feels like. Now the rest of the industry is finally catching up to what you and Digital Eclipse have been doing, like trying to make sure that we're really producing high quality reproductions of these games. And then also they're probably not doing as good of a job, but at least trying to put some history in there as well. Yeah, I'm actually excited for all that because it's kind of the reason why we started doing what we're doing, because we felt that we wanted people to take like the legacy of gaming like more seriously and make sure that the accuracy as well as like the way the games felt the play and the context and history 
were being uh, represented. And for a long time, if you think about it back like 10 years ago, you could get away with putting a really bad version of Pac-Man out on a plug-and-play or some other device, and most people wouldn't think twice about it. But now everybody seems to be really educated uh, about like the quality of these games, and, and they know what is and isn't like the right way to do it. And so when you had somebody like um, – I forgot what the company name is. They, they put out a, a Pac-Man handheld that said it was the – arcade pac-man games and it turned out it was just the nes versions like there was a there was a big backlash to that and it kind of tanked that piece of hardware but 10 years ago that could have come out and nobody would have thought twice so now people are really educated on on what these games are what they're supposed to be how they're supposed to play also so you can't get away with it so when the playstation came out of course it's like immediately people were like this doesn't feel right there's something wrong with this there's like there's some audio issues there's frame rate issues and stuff so that stuff floated to the top on social media and quickly uh, kind of ruined the uh, potential effect of that system coming out. And so obviously since then, you've got the classic case of hackers getting in there and trying to fix all those problems and, and do things that make that a lot better, but it was like too late for, for that device. And so now with like the Sega um, with the Sega system coming out, Genesis, I think M2, right? Is it right? M2 is doing the emulation in that, I believe. Yeah, and, and, um, and Peter Brown then uh, did like a little video on it yesterday and some other folks are putting it out and it seems like it's, you know, rock solid. Yeah, because M2 knows what they're doing. They're, we we strive to be as good as M2. And so when I heard that they're involved in that, I'm like, okay, that's that's going to be fine. I think everybody's going to be very happy. And that, the thing that's going to happen there is I believe people are going to start – they're going to be playing these games, and M2 is actually treated it better than uh, anybody probably could have. And you'll be playing the best versions of these games on that system. And there's going to be little nuances in audio and all the stuff that like you'll, people are going to take for granted, but like they're going to nail it. So I'm feeling very confident about that. And likewise – um, if M2 is even closer responsible, what's going on with the Turbo Graphics, uh, the, the PC Engine, like that's going to be that's going to be fantastic too. So again, like you're saying, like companies now are taking it a lot more seriously. They're going to the right people for this stuff. Um, so I, I'm happy for that because it used to be uh, they would just find anybody who could recompile Mame and and try to get them to put stuff in there. And like the problem with that is these guys didn't know the games and they also didn't know that there were problems with MAME emulation or their implementation of the MAME emulation to be more precise. And that's just what was happening for so long. So now, now we've got a lot, lot more higher quality stuff and I'm, I'm very happy for that. Yeah. And, and it, it, like my, my hope is that it also continues to make those discussions when you go into, you know, I don't, do you go into a boardroom or when you're talking to these higher up at, at these companies and saying like, Hey, like, you know, we have a reputation for doing this now. We would love to take this franchise or this set of games and package it up and allow a new generation of gamers and a generation to then go back and remember, you know, how much they they loved these games like again you know the the morning the Disney morning collection that you guys did i think was just a gigantic success because that for a lot of people though that was the nes like it was playing ducktales and like and and like it, it's really tough to get an nes up and running and to buy these carts now like these carts are just getting to be insanely priced where it's much easier to just download it to your console or buy a disc and be off and be, be good. We were quite literally in a boardroom yesterday with this same pitch and it went extremely well. Everybody just got it. And so it was, it was fantastic. Cause it's like, here's what we do. Here's stuff we want to add. We want to do a documentary along with it. We want to like focus on all the development materials and stuff. And it was just kind of like, yep, of course that makes sense. And okay. So, so this is, this goes to my next point and like you can confirm or you can shoot this down for me. Like, again, I know people can be you know positive and negative the world isn't the way that we necessarily all want it to be today but it feels like in video games right now like anything is possible because like when i was at e3 or not at e3 watching e3 like kind of 12 hours later was that 
Square, which isn't always like doing tons of stuff with their old franchises. People have given them crap for putting out iOS versions of old games and making them look kind of different, not the way they wanted to look and just say, hey, kind of just put out this game the way it was and we'd be very happy and we'd pay for it. But when they did something like people have been campaigning for years and years and years to get Seiken Densetsu 3 translated and then brought over to the States, like the fact that something like that can happen or the rumors that Doom 64 might be coming back, like it was rated by Peggy a couple of weeks ago, like something that we never thought was possible. Um, it, it seems like just all these companies and these publishers, these owners, uh, these rights owners just seem to be like, yeah, guys, just just go for it. Get it done and make it great. It, it's more and more like that now, and it couldn't be a better time for people like us at Digital Eclipse because it, it really is kind of like, they're coming to us rather than us having to go pitch all the time. Yeah. And so that it gives us the opportunity to kind of sell the bigger ideas we've had for so many years. And there's a willingness actually to go along with that. Like for instance, with a lot of the new projects we have um, that we haven't quite announced yet, but like are coming up, we actually have hired a documentary crew to go in and talk to team members and actually um, dig for more and more materials that before would have been too expensive to go do now are part of the budget and expected. So it's fantastic. We get to meet so many people who then in turn give us clues. It's like a big archaeological dig. They give us clues where more information might be. And so we follow that trail during the whole production. And usually by the time we're ready to ship the game, we've found things that the world's never seen before related to these games. And sometimes it's new versions of the game. Sometimes it's material. Sometimes it's stories about how uh, something came to be that is actually pretty uh, – it's a pretty good thing to document because it actually has an effect and could influence people yeah. in the game industry to understand how these things actually work and how they came to be. So it's it's awesome to have that uh, amount of support from, from the people we've been working with. SNK is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. SNK pretty much gives us uh, free reign to go – uh, kind of do our uh, kind of do our investigation as long as we have to to find the most information because they're so willing to have that happen because they want to reconstruct their history and have a, an accurate uh, representation of their history because it's that company's changed so many times that the history of the company is at risk of being lost so they came on board and said like find as much as you can give us as much as you can help us reconstruct our history yeah and and again like I, I think the um the the other kind of like follow up on that is. Retro game collectors, especially people that would really be interested in this stuff, are always um, they're always hoping for a physical release because they want something one to put on the shelf. They like the box art, like if you can put you know something inside, like a flip cover, or like a double sided cover, or something like that. Like that's really important. And it, again, it goes back to preservation, right? Like something yeah. where they feel like. I can buy this once and we're not going to have to deal with like, it feels like every couple of weeks, you know, and there was even a scare a couple of weeks ago where Bethesda re-released a new version of Doom 1 and Doom 2. And then the original versions that people bought years ago, like disappeared from their Xbox. It was a mistake, but it's a reminder of the actual reality that one day these servers are going to be gone and you won't be yeah. able to re-download. You, you won't be able to, or your license will, will expire. Um, and you won't be able to get this stuff. Is that becoming an easier discussion or is that something that you guys are always talking about being like, yeah, like we should do this, but you know, we also, everyone's, a lot of people are going to buy it digitally, but we should at least do like a, a run of, of physical versions of these games because there's people out there that will pay a premium for it. Every digital clips title we, uh, set out to work on, we try to find a way to make sure we have a physical version of it. 
Um, and our, some of our best partners are people like uh, right now we've, we've been talking a lot with limited run games going forward to make sure that we have something kind of unique and that we can try to maybe put some of these games back into circulation on the proper media. So it's like if we're going to do a Super Nintendo game that has like that was like a final version or a, a director's cut. Let's try to get that on a Super Nintendo cartridge. Let's try to get like anything we find, say it was like a Neo Geo or a Dreamcast on the real media that works in the real <laughs> hardware as well as getting the collection out there. So we're, we're striving for that. And then as far as the physical release on con- modern consoles, we try to do that as well with both Limited Run and also a group that we work with quite a bit called Nighthawk, uh, who does some publishing. They used to be um, part of Majesco, uh, the old Majesco team oh, cool. pulled together. And so these are incredible partners who understand the, the the need for that, understand the kind of the concerns people have. So they're more than willing to jump in and, and support that, which is phenomenal. And so, again, like years ago, you'd, you'd struggle to find anybody who would even think it's worth putting these things out uh, on physical media. Now – People are coming to the table saying, like, this needs to, and even if it's not going to make the most money in the world, I think it's kind of our duty to do it. And so it's like, all right, this is great. And this is why I am. I think it's what next week or two weeks. Maybe it's um. What's what's today's date? Today is the sixteenth. Uh, so I think it's two weeks away. No, it's, maybe it's next week, where that Secret Armada collection comes out physically. And I waited. Like I was trying to be patient. I was really close to hitting the button. Um, but when I knew there was going to be a physical version, and, and again, like. Secret Armada, I know, has a special place in your heart. I remember you and I talked yep. about just like, you know, the in the differences between the Super Famicom version of the one that we got here in the States, just in terms of that, you know, uh, title screen animation and stuff. And for, for me, like, that's something that is way more powerful for me to, like, own a copy of that. Because one, like, that's now a piece of history. Like, having Secret of Mana 3, like, the or Secret of Mana uh, 3, yes, sorry, Second Dentester 3, yeah. 3 or Secret of Mana 2, I guess a lot of people call it when... For those repro folks that are printing those bootleg SNES carts uh, <laughs> on Etsy, but like to be able to have a physical version of that and just to know like and it's going to make it more likely I play through it for the show. Like I'd really love to cover those two games just because they're just incredibly important titles for that era, like that generation. Like those two titles are just just huge. So um, it's kind of like vinyl in a way because I I, I said this uh, that's a great point. Yeah. Ago, it's like people are buying. The original like games on the original media, so it's like they're getting Super Nintendo cards that re-release and this sort of thing. But they don't even have a Super Nintendo; they're just buying it to have it because they look at it like it's a work of art. Just have the box, like to have yeah. like instructions or just to have something to put on the shelf. Like there's, I, I think we can't understate how important some of these games mean to folks too. Like I've even gone to the point where I've bought in games digitally, like on the Switch, and then I'll go out and I'll buy the physical version too, just because. I'll wait for it for it to be on sale, but I, I want it to just support them again, and also to to have something that I can have twenty years from now. Like that's um, that's really important for for me, and it's just I I just feel like it's such a great time in video games. Just seem to be crushing it. I remember not even I don't know seven years ago, right before the Xbox One, or, or when we're getting towards the end of the three hundred and sixty and PS three before Xbox One and PS four rumors were coming out. A lot of like video game coverage folks, like journalists, were saying this might be it. We're just going to go to phones, and it completely went the opposite way. PS4 passed 100 million units. Like the Switch is doing great, Xbox is doing great. Like it seems like all three of those hardware, um, those hardware companies, are kicking ass in their own unique way. It's really good. Yeah, and I mean you can't underestimate a dedicated device for gaming and. That's that's one thing that keeps coming around every so often. But at the end of the day, somebody wants something that's just going to 
focus all its energy and, and hardware on gaming. And that's, you know, whatever form that takes going forward, it's still going to always be there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was at Best Buy two days ago buying that new Switch revision and the person behind me literally was also doing the same thing. And they bought a copy of Zelda because people are still jumping on board and, you know, getting in on, on this generation. It's, it's, it's been a really cool time for that stuff. Um, so I was wondering if there's any technologies from the past that you would like if let's just say money didn't matter. We're in Star Trek universe and everyone's happy. You can just do whatever you want to do as long as you're contributing to society. Is there is there an engine or is there some sort of like not like a, like a game? Yeah, I guess a game engine that you would love to work with and create a brand new game or a brand new franchise with. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> where, where to start? Uh, this is great here with, with like the old 3D Realms engine. It sound like that sounds like it'd be a real fun thing to play around with because there, you know there would be there's things that these older games did, for instance, that modern games still aren't doing because they have to take into account some like kind of concerns about platform limitations mm-hmm. and the way they the systems communicate. But in those early days, none of those rules were in place, so they're doing crazy things. And they're also doing things that like now people would look at and say like, oh, you shouldn't do that. But they were just taking those risks. And in some ways, it makes games more fun to play. For instance, like GoldenEye, if you look at I would I would love to play around with the rare GoldenEye engine <laughs> or the perfect dark engine yeah. because it had so much customization you could do to create uh, multiplayer, like especially the split screen gaming, which is very difficult to do on modern consoles if you want like they're, they're always at, um, at at odds with performance. So modern gamers expect games to look so good that like to, uh, the thought of even splitting the screen four ways and doing a four-pass <laughs> four render means you're going to limit the visuals. And so nobody wants to do that. And also doing that stuff all locally and trying to like for RAM and for, uh, for uh, basically the graphic buffers and all stuff, it's just like people don't want to do that much work. But back on the N64 – when 3D was still new and primitive, it's like, why not split the screen and have four players playing this crazy, bonkers multiplayer game with every possible configuration? Like that to me was was just awesome. And the way you, the way collision was detected in that game, so you can have these like really unique ways that people would, when you shoot them, they would like they would react by like flipping or spinning like in one direction or right. falling back a different way and all stuff. Like there's just something raw and cool about that game. And over the years, like you realize after you read interviews with everybody and to meet these guys that. A lot of them were just new to it in general, new to gaming, and so they didn't have that like built-in kind of bu- or, uh, kind of like um, filter to be like, oh, we shouldn't do that because that won't work in the long run. They just anything did it. was and, possible. Yeah, anything was possible, and they did it, and they figured out how to make it work because no one's saying you couldn't do it. And so they did that. I mean, multiplayer and Goldeneye came in really late in the game. Like they weren't really planning on having that, and that was just like a a thought in the studio when they were playing Bomberman. And we're like, wouldn't it be cool if? And so, mm-hmm. like, they like within I think a week it was or something like that. They managed to get multiplayer in, which was insane because it's one of the greatest multiplayer modes of all time. So that engine, what I liked about that was because it wasn't that it was probably the best engine in the world to work with, but it was like um, probably the the least jaded engine <laughs> that you yeah. could probably get your hands on because, like you said, anything was possible. And so it was created to make crazy things, and there was no limit on it. So it's like you could get in there and do something that didn't rely on hardcore systems down the line that could have this, like house of cards effect. Like if you like wanted to change something in Goldeneye, you just change it and it was there. If you like in a modern game, if you're playing like an eight player online multiplayer shooter or something like that, if you change it, you got to take into account like, well, what happens? What's the ripple effect? If like latency is a certain amount of whatever and all stuff. So you run into all these kind of modern problems. So you can't make a game that's so fast, so visceral as Goldeneye. And I say fast because like, sure the frame rate wasn't great, but the reaction, the hits, and everything that were immediate. 
And in online games, everything has they have built in compensation for latency. So when you're playing a first person shooter on a modern game, everything feels floaty. It feels slow, even though they visually make it look like it's fast. At the end of the day, if you're really looking at how much ground you're covering or how fast the game really is, it's super slow and, and just loosey goosey. And yeah, that's PUBG, like, just because, look at PUBG. It's like if you actually look, broke that down like frame by frame, it's kind of nuts. It is. And that's it's an illusion for everybody. But when you go back and you play Goldeneye after all that, after being a modern gamer, you go back to that. It's like there's something just so raw and fast and, and really accurate about that game that I think if, if we if, if we get opportunities to go back and do an engine, not necessarily using the Goldeneye engine, but building something that's like a lo- local multiplayer FPS that has that like kind of feel would blow people's minds today. Yeah. And, I, and you know, there's well, there's kind of two two follow ups that I have for you on that. But um. Maybe we'll try to bring these together. Like, I always think when I when I saw this game, I also thought like, you know, it was a different era, and I guess it isn't necessarily a different era in, in this aspect because now we're seeing like Wolfenstein Youngblood is a really good example of a game that came out on PS4 and Xbox One, and and Panic Button, I know not Panic Button, um, I forget the company that was that was working on it is trying it, it you know ported it to the the Nintendo Switch, a significantly weaker console. We're trying to figure out how to get it done where, you know, remember we were getting these quote unquote arcade ports. I think the, the NES had some really shining examples of what an arcade port, you know, very loosely using that term arcade port, bringing something from powerful hardware to, to weaker hardware. Um, as a developer, you worked on, you know, hardware like the Game Boy Color, um, something where you tried to take something like, like Dragon's Lair and bring it down to the, the, processing power of a Game Boy Color and trying to recreate that same experience for folks. Um, was it ever, was it ever like really enjoyable for you to do something like that? Like bring NFL blitz to the Game Boy Color? Like, was that a fun challenge for you or did you find it more frustrating? You know what? I, if I'm being really honest, like I don't think I was ever frustrated in any of those situations. And even when we think we're frustrated, it's like after the fact, you're, the satisfaction of doing it and pulling off is so great because there's so much creativity that goes in to trying to create something that the end user hopefully doesn't really see too much difference in between like the original and and what you're doing. And it's always an interpretation when you have such a disparate. Uh, hardware platform like the Game Boy from like a, a piece of arcade hardware, but more most recently we did the Minecraft port to the Nintendo DS. Right, and a lot of people like the Nintendo DS is really underpowered. It's not a very <laughs> powerful system, and we were taking the modern day Minecraft with all the features and everything like that, and had to try to figure out a way to bring that onto the onto the DS. That was a huge undertaking, and Microsoft was really amazing to work with on that because they literally just called us up and said like. You're the guys we have in mind for this because I can't think of anybody else that's crazy enough to do it. And so they, we got all this stuff and we figured it out. And I think uh, right now the team, when they think back on that, um, they think back on it finally. But during during the time, because it was such a big franchise and we're up against really strict deadlines because there's a limited window on how how much market potential the DS still had in it. Uh, it was it was very stressful. But um, and, and all the whole time, even for the very beginning everybody on the team's like, this is just going to be impossible. Like, why are we even going to do it? But it's like, there was this little, there's a little piece of us, everybody on the team kind of said like, but maybe <laughs> like, if we look at the source code and we figure everything out. So it's like, we had this huge, probably one of the biggest pre-productions on any project was really just spent going through the source code and trying to redline every feature that might be a problem and then spend as much time as we can trying to have a solution for that. So we went in 
feeling pretty confident by the time real production started that we had a solution for everything. And I think that view that we had at the beginning was like, it's not going to be as good as the regular Minecraft, but it'll be close. And then by the time we got done with it, it was like, oh, this is actually really close to Minecraft. And that's it's amazing it even works. Because on the front of mind from, from I don't know why I even thought about this in the past week, but uh, the game calm has been on my mind because <laughs> my grandmother decided that would be a really great Christmas gift. Um, there wasn't really, I guess, anything else that I was asking for that year. That's on me. Um, but she bought me a game calm with, a, you know, included a copy of Lights On and then eventually for a birthday, I got a copy of Williams Arcade Classics uh, for that as well. And then eventually I think got Mortal Kombat Trilogy. But is you know trying to do this crazy thing like bring stuff like Resident Evil 2 and Duke Nukem 3D to a portable experience maybe not so successfully but did you ever work on any game con stuff or, or that so, hardware yes um they came to us because we were really big on Game Boy at the time mm-hmm. and so um sorry if you hear a vacuum back here uh <laughs> I think it's out in the hallway here um but yeah they they came to us and because we're doing so much Game Boy stuff and they asked us if we would just port a lot of like any games that we were thinking about or working on like <laughs> anything we want come on it just we just need games or call to games.com or game.com like we need games and we ended up um we're, we're, back in those days we're like sure why not this looks cool it has like a calendar in it sure yeah <laughs> and so it did where it, it was neat and then you know what to be fair that solitaire game on there was amazing so it was built and it was right on i played all, most of my solitaire in life not on windows but on my game yeah, exactly. Uh, same here, actually. And so we were all for it. And so we're like, yeah, send us some dev kits. And they're like, okay. And then a week would go by and we're like, hey, what's the status on the dev kits? And it'd be like a month, three months later. Oh. It would still constantly send us emails about like, we need games and how soon can you start? And we're like, well, as soon as you give us dev kits. And I guess like the, the reality was they just didn't really have a good development environment. And that there's a reason a lot of stuff was done internally. And then by the time we did get some hardware, I think it arrived and we started playing around with it and i think we got some like little arcade kind of ports sort of just to test it out and then like it was while we we're doing all that stuff somebody saw online that they were gonna shut it down and they were like Does, do the guys that we're talking to know <laughs> because i don't know if they know wow that's like uh i mean i i went pretty deep i even bought the um the game modem uh oh yeah because it was I've got one of those it, it, it went it was on clearance <laughs> like it was little yeah. i think it was like three dollars and i still had my game like of course, I'm a kid. I would love to get on the internet, but of course, I didn't realize, oh, you have to pay for internet access because I was, you know, I think I was 12 years old or 11 years. No, I was 11 years old at that time. So, um, but this console that had a really low refresh rate and that screen was pretty gross. Um, so- it was gross, but you know what? We found out you could do more with that than what a lot of the games were doing. It was more like, well, it had a, a terrible. Um, kind of decay, like, you know, if something moved quickly, it would just, like, fade and leave a trail. Yeah. Which is kind of neat if you embrace the, like, one of the demos we were working on, we had, like, we're just seeing how fast we could draw things at the screen, mm-hmm. but you left these trails where, like, what if you did something that in, embraces that? It was, we did, like, a, a a weird kind of shooter where, as you're moving around, it just had these cool little trails all over the place yeah, and yeah. stuff, and when your bullets would go, you just keep, like, this point, but as it moved up, it looked like it had a little light trail on it and stuff, so we're like, there's cool stuff you can do. But uh, by the time we started figuring that stuff out, it was already dead. And, and I, you know, not even just solitaire, but that I played because I only had like two games. I played so much of the Williams Arcade. Uh, I think it was Williams Arcade Classics or something like that. And like I played that was the first time I had ever played Robotron 20, 2084. 
Um, and I played Sinistar was still, it was good enough where it scared the crap out of me. Just like <laughs> yeah. they didn't have the the voice, but it had just like the, the sound the effects skull. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, again, I, I think there's always, there was a time when there would just be really crazy things like that coming, coming out. But, um, I mean, yeah, I, I got to guess like if, was there any other like hardware that you just like loved to work on? Of course, like you said, you had lots of experience. Like you guys did a ton of stuff for the Game Boy Color and the Game Boy Advance. Um, I mean, that it seemed like you guys were just damn good at working on that hardware. So would you want to go back to that? Oh, absolutely. It was, I love limited hardware because the challenge, again, it's like doing ports, the challenge of trying to get something really amazing on it. It's like, it, it's kind of why we have all these kind of demo scenes mm-hmm. uh, because there's something just neatly fun about trying to make a piece of hardware do something that people think is impossible. Um, so for me, like that's when I was doing Game Boy, I was really trying to break all those misconceptions about the Game Boy. Like how fast can you make a, a game run? Like people are like, you can't do 60 FPS on a Game Boy. And it's like, you can, <laughs> but it just doesn't mean it looks great, but you can. And yeah. what can we do to make it look good? And, um, or you can't put full motion video or you can't do a really good multiplayer. You can't do these things. It was like, it was super fun to take all those notions and then just try to, to break them and, and break through it. And so I would love to go back to that. Cause there was only so many, you had to make games pretty much in assembly language on, on a Z80 processor. And there's, there's only a handful of instructions to mm. make a game. So it's like, if you break it down for anybody who hasn't done any programming, you have like, I don't just say like 20 to 30 instructions you can use. And that's how you make a game. Like you literally use just those instructions to make an entire game that has systems and animation and all stuff. So you, you basically figure out how to, with just a, like a library of 30 words, describe something like a dragon's lair or describe something like a platform game uh, or something like a metal gear or this sort of thing. And that was just amazing to me to do. I remember there was an engineer telling me um, because he, he knew like I think 10 to 12 different languages. And he said he, he approached languages like he does his programming where it's like, there's all you really need to know are about like 12 to 20 words, but they're the most flexible words in that language to be able to describe and learn from that and, and build on that. And it was like, Oh, that's great. That's, I love that kind of approach. And he got to work on Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> well, that's the other thing about working on those limited platforms. Like the, because it was like for many people who are, were more modern and they're like who knew C and that sort of stuff back then now is like an old language. But like to them doing assembly was painful. But to me, that was like the most fun. So it was like we got opportunities to work on franchises mainly because people were like turning away from it because they didn't want to have to build something that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm now just like thinking about this. I was like pulling up a list of of digital eclipse games over the years, and I just remember I just I bought a shit ton of these games, man. Like I, <laughs> because I, I again game when I was playing stuff on the Game Boy Color, like I wanted to have like arcade games on the go. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, that Rampage Two Universal Tour. Oh my god. Um, yep. And that game did something really cool. It did parallax background. So like there's yeah. city there's a city in the background that scrolled at a different rate and that was a really crazy trick to pull that off um katherine mataga did that and it, it looked great i bought rampage roll tour i bought that the the first one for the game boy color bought with my game boy color that was the first color game i had for the game boy color was rampage Roll that's tour. awesome um wow I, st- I like i even remember i still like it's just the craziest stuff that you just remember because it was really important for me to buy a game boy color because i like remembered i traded in just the right enough stuff like i had to trade in my game boy pocket and like five games and they give you a Game Boy Color, and it was a really good deal. Um, and then I had a couple extra bucks left over, bought that game, and I still remember just that exact 
you know, electronics boutique that I was in when I bought it. Um, and now it's an arcade, oddly enough, it turned into an arcade in the mall, like a, not a good arcade, like the arcade that has like Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift racing game oh, like, yeah. in like, like some air hockey or something like that. Um, but could be, could be worse. Um, it could be worse. The fact that it stayed with video games is fine. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I found that really, yeah, I went to go see the new, well, Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw the other day and I walked by, I'm like, oh my God, this is now, uh, an arcade, which is kind of cool. Um, okay. So, uh, along with like all the stuff that, that we've been talking about, I think one cool thing about this generation has been a lot of second chances. Um, especially for me, like this is on the front of my mind because, you know, literally tomorrow we're recording an episode on, on Resident Evil four and playing through doom three for the first time. You know, when I played through that, uh, when I was a freshman in college, it actually scared me too much where I could really only play it in like really small boats, but playing through it now and that BFG edition and then a real big reason for a lot of this stuff with my busy schedule has been like the Nintendo Switch, like having that as an outlet for for second chances for for games and even, you know, the other consoles and stuff like that. Um, I was kind of curious if, if you thought, well, kind of two-parter. One, if there's any franchise that you were able to finally give a second look just because of uh, another re-release, um, you know, going to an HD collection or just having it come out on hardware that you were able to to access or readily use. And then the second part, I guess, would be if you had the ability to give a game a second life um, to find its audience, because maybe it didn't find it the first time, uh, what would it be? Ooh, oh man. Um, as far as like second chances, like the problem there is like, I I have all the old hardware still and I still play <laughs> all that stuff. So I, I see like, uh, I guess like I see for, that for this audience, like that might be listening to the show who like only has the new stuff, but like, hey, there was this game, there's this franchise. It just wasn't marketed well. It just didn't find its audience, but oh sure, it was you know, there's, damn there's good. what it comes to mind. Um, and, and again, like some of these things, if, if they're not touched for modern audiences, sometimes my great thing, the experience I have, is not what uh, people have in a modern way. But um, there's a game I really liked on PC a long time ago that came out on Xbox and PS4, and I don't know if it's on Switch. I don't think it's on Switch, but it was uh, Outcast. It was an old Info Infogrames game, um, and it used. Uh, well, it used, used the voxels to create the, the landscape, but it had some really complicated game systems in it. And you're this, um, you're this guy who goes through this portal to an alien world, and you're being hunted down in the alien world, and you're trying to get back. And it was just way ahead of its time on PC. It had come out at a time before 3D graphics cards, so it was doing everything in software, trying to be a really fast and just really grand experience. Uh, and then it got, came out, and then 3D graphic cards came out and it didn't make the jump <laughs> graphic cards. So it kind of got lost, but now um, it's back and you can download it on, on at least Xbox PC and, and PS4. And you can see that this game tried to be, it's like it has all the same kind of systems and everything that Grand Theft Auto has. You have a social system, like you can go into a town in this alien world and you can kill somebody. And if somebody sees it, they shut the doors and they start spreading the word and everybody in the town starts to hide away from you. And also it's just really crazy. And there's like these, kind of dinosaur weird alien creatures that are running through the, these swamps. And if you shoot one in the leg, like its leg kind of stops working, but it still tries to keep moving and stuff. Oh, it just cool. had all these really amazing systems that were coming at the very tail end of software 3d. And then when hardware 3d came around, like that was all just thrown out because you had to do things very differently. And so it's, it's, it's generating the screen, the graphics, everything in a very unique way that was kind of lost. And it's a moment in time and early P 
PC 3D. So that is one that I, I, I happily downloaded because it's like, I kind of want to see this again. Now we, I, I you know, we're, we're, I can't believe it. It's already almost an hour. Um, but, but, uh, but keep I, going. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately I gotta, again, guys, I'm trying my best to get these shows done, but at some point <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go back to the gym, uh, and get to work. But, um, I mean, again, like you've been extremely busy. I, I need to talk to you about Star Wars. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, if, if you guys, if you live out in the West Coast, you should be doing whatever you can to get to California Extreme. Like it's just an amazing event put on by great people, and it's a fantastic weekend. Um, and Star Lords was at California Extreme. This is a game that that you were working. I think it was with the Tested dot com folks. Yep. Uh, kind of teamed up on on this, and it's kind of like a spiritual successor to maybe the ultimate arcade game, the ultimate competitive arcade I game, agree. Warlords. Yep, and that's exactly what it is. We uh, we actually have a document. It's now uh, not behind a paywall anymore. You can look up Star Lords and Tested dot com on YouTube and see our. I think it was seven or eight part series of the yeah build seven parts. Yeah, it was on uh, YouTube. It's awesome. Yeah, and we basically built. We got together with the Tested dot com guys. We love those guys, and we're like, let's work on something together. And what should we do? And we uh, all agreed that we want to do a video game, an arcade game. And then we, we kind of set out to kind of figure out what would be the best one to do. And we all love, uh, I mean, as you said, we love Warlords, probably one of the greatest competitive oh, arcade so games of all time. Yeah. And so we're like, what if we did something like that, but we add two more players because that'll be a nice challenge to try to solve uh, mathematically and design wise and everything else. And then um, let's build out like a futuristic version of Warlords. That would be like the, that would be the spiritual successor to Warlords, but what would Atari do? Like, so we we thought of like Atari would probably put it in space and still have that seventies aesthetic and do all this kind of cool stuff. So we followed that kind of vision, and it ended up we ended up making this arcade game that we second year in a row to California Extreme. Every year we tried to upgrade it and do some new things with it. And this last year, um, it had some of the most play. Like we we launched it, we thought that was great, and a lot of people played it. But uh, people came back to play it this last year, Brad. and so the crowds were bigger. Uh, and more people want the game too. So we're in the midst of trying to figure out how to produce this for people in various ways. Like we can have you, we can give you the plans to make it yourself. We can give you a kit to build it yourself, or maybe we find a way to give you the full finished version as well. And so we're, we're trying to sort that out because this last show, I think we had 20 to 25 people like make offers on it. And they were crazy offers. Offers I'm like, hmm, maybe we just sell it to this guy right now because <laughs> I can put my kids through college. So we're like, uh, yeah, let's let's go ahead and figure this out. Well, I mean, uh, limited run games, you could do limited run arcades. Like We were even thinking about doing a little miniature version that's a tabletop oh, version. Oh, yes. Six people can gather around, and we could do that through like limited run games or, or Nighthawk or these guys too. So it's like, and you could have people kind of just sit there and have a dedicated game for that. These these are really big because we, we also work on those arcade one-up games. That's right. And th- th- those are selling those are really well. up. They're blowing up. And so um, until Walmart it, decided to not sell Mortal Kombat 2 for a couple hours <laughs> yesterday for some reason. Yeah. And then violent. they fixed that really quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, hypocrisy there. But um, they, they hey, that's what we worked on that one. So it's kind of like, what? <laughs> that's probably the one I'm trying to. I feel like this is going to be a really dark hole if I go down buying these things because I don't have a ton of room, but I would really love to own like MK two and street fighter two. Like those, those are probably the two that I would want. And then now teenage mutant Ninja turtles at collections. Oh, coming out. It's so good. It's uh, so good. That's the one I'm probably gonna have to buy first. Of course. Like, like it's, it's great. <laughs> and it's amazing that in, it's amazing that 
they are able to put those out at the price point that they are because now if you want, well, for one, you'd have to deal with the hassle of a huge ass arcade machine. Um, but to be able to fit out, fit a control panel with four sets of controls on there and get maybe the two best co-op action games with Teenage oh, yeah. Turtles, the arcade game, and then Turtles in Time on one box is like, it's like a no brainer. It's just, they keep improving the quality of the parts too. So the joysticks yeah. are better. The, the build is better. Everything is just, it gets better and better. Those guys are really great. They came at it like with a great idea and they stuck with it and they kept making things better and better. And they're really good with the community. And honestly, we, although we didn't work on this one, the one they announced was star Wars, a good friend of ours, Jeff Avasar up at code mystics. Right. They did it. And it's going to be the first time you're going to be able to play star Wars, the arcade game properly. You're going to yeah. have the control, which is a replica of the, the arcade control, but then even more, it's never been emulated correctly at home ever. And like a lot of the reasons that doesn't happen is because the it's hardware the yoke, itself. Right? It, well, nope, no, even more. Oh. The uh, the the raster dis- or the vector display that right. was on the game had extra modes to it. They could defocus the the beam. They can brighten and, and lower the beam in a specific way that wasn't just brighter or or it had a, a weird effect on it. And there's some other things that that it also had in there that have never been emulated to date. So Jeff set out to do that because the if you play the real arcade game and the tie fighter shoots at you that that blast that ball that comes at you looks all fuzzy and like it looks round and solid but when you play it on emulators it looks like a spiky snowflake it's because what they do is they say uh, the hardware says defocus those uh vector beams and so they get blurry and they created like this blurry like plasma shot coming at you no emulation's ever done that and so jeff's figured it out he's got that in there and then when you get hit the ball or the, the the health bar at the top pulses and all stuff stuff that's just not in the any other version of the game so you're going to have the closest thing to the three to five thousand dollar home <laughs> or arcade version in your home so you're gonna you're gonna be able to play it and, oh and be God. really close to it and that's i think for people who are big star wars arcade fans like myself it's like it's worth the 500 bucks just for that you know it, the thing that's probably going to get me to how you get it might, it might be the turtles one um you know definitely like if there was a sunset riders for if there was some sort of like you know more konami like sunset riders machine um would be well, sunset really- riders i think is in the turtles one isn't it uh, I don't think so. <laughs> if it's not, then oh man, maybe I could put that news out. But uh, but yeah, I think I think it's in there. <laughs> okay, we might need to edit that out. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It, 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 we'll go ahead and say I think it's in there. Uh, let's see. <laughs> so writers, one up. I, I could have swore it was in there. Oh, maybe I'm not. I, I no, don't. Maybe I don't think so. Um, you let me know what to do with that. No, you know what? Like, I think we, I think we, no, you can keep this all in there. Uh, okay. I, think, I think we proposed that and it, it just wasn't going to make sense. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, it has Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are, Hey, you were doing, you were doing your best, you know, to, to, to make it out. But that was like one of the, um, oh God, I mean, Sunset Riders is just so good. The Super Nintendo oh, version is okay. But, um, like that's another game where, you know, it's, it's, it's what I hope Konami becomes. I hope Konami becomes like, we like money. We don't want to make video games. We're going to continue to do the casino stuff and we're going to do, you know, gambling, but we're going to make sure that we license out, you know, the Konami name to, and the, these franchises, like what they do with, yep. you know, Castlevania and, and Contra and stuff. And let's just make sure we can still make money and not do anything to work, um, which is fine, which is what I would love. Um, but the, the the machine that would probably be the one that I get first is some sort of cocktail. I think the co- when they get the cocktail machines out, I think those are going to yeah. just blow up. Like that would oh, be. Oh man, that's the one. Like everybody I talk to, people want the cocktail versions because I think that fits in most people's house situation or apartment situation better. 
Yeah, um, and it can you be can just, just as a make, table. Yeah, exactly. You can just put it as a little corner table, and that's still like the one thing when I when I'm just bored, I'll sometimes still go on Craigslist. Just I'm taking a peek. At, like I'm not going to buy anything, but the one thing I would probably still pick up is like a like Ms. Pac-Man cocktail machine, but they're just way too expensive and they're just beat to crap. And it's just so hard to keep these things up and running. Like those CRTs are not getting younger. Um, oh, it, absolutely. I, I mean, I just, I don't know if you saw this online, there's a guy that wears a TV on his head that was like leaving CRTs on people's porches, like 50 of them. What? He's caught on security camera. It's like, he's like the hero we need, right? <laughs> he's just delivering like old CRTs to people. He's delivering old CRTs to people's front porches, and he has like a TV on his head. He wears like a costume. What? And he's done like fifty of these. If you look this up, I'm sitting there going, "I am oh going to look God. this up." <laughs> this guy is like a superhero, a modern day superhero for old game nerds. I hope he's <laughs> putting cap kits on those things, and we're making sure that the everything's up and running really well. If he, if he was putting cap kits on those things, then like. God bless him. That's probably the thing that scared me away most from arcade ownership was when I was having problems, especially it was like, I think it was with my Donkey Kong Jr., uh, where the Nintendo monitors are kind of like infamous for just being needing cap kit, kit, cap kits rather frequently oh, yeah. and just like having to go through the soldering process and like wanting to mess around with that stuff was above my pay grade. Um Okay, so I, I got I got like two more questions for you. Well, one again, you're working on tons of stuff. Like we obviously, you have now uh, openly talked about IDARB two. Like that is a thing that is happening now. Yes, we've uh, officially launched our Discord, uh, so people can jump into that. Um, I, in fact, I don't know it off the top of my head, but if you look for IDARB two in Discord, you'll find the official. You'll see an official channel. Um, that's where we're pushing updates about IDARB two, and we're going to start early access through Discord, mm-hmm. so people will be able to come to the early access channel and download builds of the game on PC and help us develop the game. So awesome. it's going to live up to the original. Yes, we are working with Microsoft on this, and um, so this will be uh, Xbox, PC, any any place that Xbox Live can go, we will be there. So crossplay on you can imagine other consoles that allow that. That's the places we'll be. Hey, again, one of the best parts of playing games right now is somehow Nintendo and Microsoft are like really cool with they're, each other. They're so, really chummy right now. So we love that. And that's we love that for IDARP too. How can you not? <laughs> I mean, especially when you look at the relationship that they have with, you know, you know, both having rare games that I'm sure they would like to be able to put out, but they share franchises and stuff like I would love to see the day when, you know, we can get some really cool rare games on Nintendo consoles and also vice versa. Like that would be a huge win for everyone that likes video games. Um, Absolutely. So, I mean, what, what is kind of like the timetable for this? Do you guys have kind of uh, like a set release that you're, that you're shooting for? Yeah, we're, we're looking, cause right now we're building the game and a lot of people who are in the discord are, are learning all this. We're building the game network minded first. So we want to have this, have all the features of a modern network game. So we want tournament modes. We want really competitive networking. We want really good networking. So you can have, if eight people are playing, we want those eight people to have the ability to be on multiple devices, all playing together at the same time, the highest quality with uh, uh, as limited uh, latency issues as possible. The first game was built to be a local multiplayer game that we had to graft multiplayer onto, online multiplayer. So this time around, we're building online multiplayer right out of the box, which means we're going to design the game all around that. So it's going to hopefully feel really close to the original game, but it's going to have uh, a lot more um, resiliency in, in the online mode. So before it had a lot of frame rate and lag issues because it was doing key sync. Now we're ditching key sync and because the key sync is kind of what like fighting games, old fighting games do online. It's, it has rewind and all this stuff so that you can simulate subframe and do all this kind of stuff. But we're actually going to do true network, uh, true network layer here. And the stuff that we have to do is kind of stuff that ironically, like we were talking about before, 
early online games that used modems, there were all these kind of techniques and algorithms that uh, developers would use to try to hide the fact that you're using like a 33-6 modem or whatever it was back in the day. So we're using a lot of those techniques because the game is so immediate and there's so much going on that we have to build really strong prediction models and all stuff to make it feel like somebody's just sitting next to you playing it in real time on a, on a screen. So there's a, a few problems that we're trying to solve that haven't really ever been solved before, but we're feeling pretty good about it. I know what you're talking about. My X-Band modem worked really well for Mortal Kombat 2. Well, yeah, I wish like X-Band stuck around because everybody <laughs> could benefit from that. But like, uh, unfortunately, we're stuck with this like, new um, internet. Yeah, we, lo- <laughs> we lost the just incredible hardware uh, potential of, of the X-Band um, modem. That's probably one of the things I miss most about like back then is there was just so many weird-ass things that would be coming out <laughs> yeah. for consoles that really weren't supported by much, but... They were trying stuff. Um, I've got boxes of weird stuff like that. Like, I've got that. We talked about it before, I think, but I have, like, the Game Boy Advance. Um, there was, like, a, a camera, a chat camera. So it's, like, it was a camera, and it had audio, and it was meant to be, like, a video conference. And this came out? Thing. No, it didn't come out. I oh. mean, it, got, it got sent to us because it, it had a whole extra area of RAM to develop games for that. So what they wanted to do was have, like, a little, oh. have a little box in the corner of the game of somebody talking and you can see their face. Holy crap! In a really small pixel, so it was awful. On a Game Boy Advance, not for Game Boy wow. Advance, they would want you to plug Ethernet into it. It wasn't wireless; it was Ethernet. So you can imagine people plugging Ethernet into a Game Boy Advance, trying to play with like voice chat and video, which was really weird. But I've got two two pieces of hardware for that for testing uh, in a box, and a whole bunch of other weird things like that that just kind of came and went. Where it's like when you're developing games, people are like, "We want you to support this device because when we come out, we need like." We need everybody supporting it. And it's like, yeah. all right. <laughs> God. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I, I can talk about that for forever. Um, <laughs> I, I even just remember when, again, that same EB Games is where I, you know, a couple stores down, I traded in a couple Beanie Babies that I had that were high value Beanie Babies and yep. got some cash and went in, bought a Game Boy camera by, to match my red Game Boy pocket. Go. It was awesome. Um, I used to pretend like I was making movies while my parents drove the car. I would point the camera outside and it'd be like a video or a movie on my, we supported that camera on almost everything we could. And, uh, <laughs> nobody seemed to care, but the, uh, I just found out recently, Chris Charla from Xbox used to work with us. Um, he found that somebody on Etsy will print out things from all, any game that supported a game boy camera. They'll print it out for $3 and send it to you on, on a game boy printer. Wait, that means they <laughs> still have working printer paper. Or they made more. These they've either figured out or they bought all the stock in the world, and they're just selling these yeah. Little... Because it was like heat. It was like the yeah the thermal thermal paper. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna buy all the, like all our games. I just start sending money to this person on Etsy. <laughs> like, yeah. I want these printouts. <laughs> my, my my one of my highest points as again, I think I was 12 years old. Is I took a picture of my butt and uh, printed it out and put it on <laughs> someone's like locker at school. That was really um really mature of me. Um, let's see. I, I, well, again, talking about so many things that you're working on and now it's getting really, really close. Medieval. All right. Oh yeah. Like I am, I am very, very, very hyped about this because I, that, I would say that's one of those games. I know that a sequel came out, but I, I feel like that's one of those games and one of those franchises that like totally would work great. And in this generation, in this day and age. Yeah, the, the the fun thing about that is going back to, like, I, I was a big fan of the game, too, and I was a big Evil Dead fan and all stuff, and it's kind of funny because I think a lot of the reason it resonated with people like us is, at the time, uh, the things that we're into, like Evil Dead and uh, all this stuff, too, uh, when we started out working on this game, we started talking to the original creators, and, of course, we really gravitated to it because they did, too. Like, that, those were the influences they had, and so going to that world, Galamir and 
seeing what stuff kind of came together and looking at the source code on stuff has been really, really fun. And um, I, I, I feel kind of bad for people because like this is one of those things where we can't just constantly be open and talk about all the cool things we're doing with this game because we have to go through Sony and all sorts of stuff. But like I, I can tell you, it's been just really fun working on this game, finding things in the game that uh, we want to finish or do whatever and, and make sure that gets in there. And like the the challenge we have that we, especially with something like this, is like you have the same thing that you do with any sort of like remaster or whatever is that like you have these great memories of the original game, but if you play it today, it's not as good as you remember just because it was the first of its kind. So there were these issues that they there was it hadn't been done before, so they exactly. had to kind of invent. Yeah. And it's been refined since then. And so you you feel the edges on it. And so we have to try to address that. But at the same time, people still really love these games. They 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 like I'm I'm one of those people. Like when the Crash Bandicoot remaster came out, I was concerned because the jump on Crash Bandicoot one wasn't the same. And uh but at the same time, it's probably it, it was fine for anybody else who was a modern gamer so it's it's that weird place to be because you're gonna i'm sure people are gonna be either they're gonna love it or hate it or whatever depending on how much they love the original game and how much they love either the mechanics or the world or whatever it's all gonna influence them but it's been just awesome trying to solve that problem yeah i mean that's that's the thing is like how much you you pay homage to the the original while still like people some there's one side that people will say like well fix all the things that you know may not make it as enjoyable today, but also there are lots of fans of that game that, I mean, and I will say like, if you haven't gone and see video footage of this, I think it was like some sort of thing in Brazil or something where video yeah. footage came out and it looks awesome. Like, holy crap. It's, does this what, game it's look probably good? the best looking game I've ever worked on. We have so many incredible artists working on, on this title. And it was like, it's one of these things where I'm actually, I look at it and go like, wow, we're actually pretty good. Like yeah, it, over all these years, we work on so many different projects, but like we, we occasionally work on a project like this. So when we went into it, we're like, do we like, are we rusty? Do we need it? But then it just from day one, it looked amazing. Yeah. It, it looks, it looks so, so good. And it, and it's just like, you know, I, I will take as many games in the genre as possible. Like I just want like cool, like, you know, you know, I want a sword. I want to hack and slash some stuff. I want to go on a little bit of an adventure and have some fun, while doing it, like that's what well, that's this, what I'm looking this for. This comes from an era where, like, like now when you play a modern game, there's there's a way that they build it. They're like, okay, we're gonna have five skeletons, and we're gonna create different bodies on the skeletons. But when you play the game, there's always a sense of like all these things kind of feel familiar and yeah. similar, but they're different enough. But when they made this game, they made 57 enemies, and they're all different. Yeah, and it's like a ton of work. So while the game itself is not a very long game in modern day sense or anything like that, and it's not deep because it's like a brawler and a you know that sort of thing, I think there's a there's a willingness for a lot of people, which is misguided, to go in there and try to make it deeper mm-hmm. and re- and basically rebuild it. I think it's better to remind ourselves what this game was and and that sort of thing, but then do that sort of do that with like a a, a new medieval game or or whatever. But like this is the original medieval. We wanted to pay homage to it. We wanted to respect it. We wanted people to uh, come back who who loved the game originally to come back and experience it in a different. Uh, way that's like remastered and, and feels better and looks better. Uh, but at the same time, if we're going to do anything beyond that, I think that's, that's a good discussion to have where it's like, let's, let's build a new medieval game. That is a, that, that is like a true sequel. 
Well, you're going to continue to get my money. Uh, that is for <laughs> sure. I mean, I've been giving it to you since I was, hell, since I was 11 years old. I've been buying games from Mike Mike, which is kind of insane to, to think about. Um, it really is. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's just one of the cool things uh, about this show. I mentioned it on the, the last kind of like, you know, episode to get things restarted, um, where it's one of the most important things about this show for me is just the the relationships with the people that I get to to talk to and like the people that I've met in the, the audience and things like that. Um, that's why it's so important for me to, you know, going forward, probably going to take the summers off because I will be working a little bit heavier in the summers, but uh, the summer of Dreamcast might be uh, no more, but I think we might do, uh, I think fall might be the fall of doom uh, or something oh, like that. Just, good. just do something fun like that where it's not too, too crazy and we can have some good time fun. for halloween to get some that's what i'm thinking doom going. like yeah. I'm, I'm really I, I again like i'm having a blast playing through doom 3 like i play through like an hour of it every day and it's it's a different game uh than you know the doom remake which i'm uh, not doom remake like the most recent doom which i think is like my yeah. favorite game maybe of the generation i just had yeah played through it so many times um but it's still looks really good and it's and it's fun to play and it's a lot easier to play at 33 than it was at 18. I feel like I'm less afraid of the yeah. very lifelike graphics and just like the point of time in history. I still remember that PC gamer magazine where they had like the, the cover with like the mutated, you know, uh, pinky and Oh yeah. Like the really overweight dude who was like, you know, zombie. <laughs> like I remember all those demos, like it was just yesterday. So um, that'll be fun. But before we go, Mike, you know, is there anything else that people should, keep an eye out for and also oh, yeah. where can they, you know, learn more about what you're doing and just keep up to date with what you're doing. Yeah. You could always follow me on Twitter, which I think is uh, Mike J. Micah. So at Mike J. Micah, if you follow me there, you'll see a lot of stuff we're working on right now. You might hear in the background, we have uh, this game called project tank ball that we're doing on mixer, which is www.mixer.com slash other ocean. If you go there, so cool. yeah, you can definitely log check in. it out. <laughs> You can log in and control real world tanks that are running around right now just outside of my office. And um, you play with like a four player split screen golden eye view and you play a game of soccer. And uh, we worked again with Tested.com, the guys we worked with on Star Lords, uh, to create this just bonkers idea. And uh, so that's been going every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I think we're going to up the amount of time. So we're going to go probably daily on that for a little bit here to see how that works. But it was just uh, an experiment for us to kind of get like uh, our feet wet again with the IDAR kind of idea of just doing crazy interactions. And so, uh, again, if you go to like if you follow me or go to uh, follow IDARB game on Twitter, you'll see that IDARB 2 is now underway and join our discord. Um, We have information on how to get there from there. And then um, we have the Samurai Showdown collection coming out soon. There's some really cool surprises for people in that. I can't wait for people to see. Um, so that's going to be really cool. We have three or four more uh, soon-to-be-announced Digital Eclipse uh, titles coming that I, I think uh, your audience in particular is going to be really excited about. Um, and I can't wait to come back on and maybe we do a part two with that. And, uh, Definitely. Of course, Medieval. And then I've been doing – I've kind of become this weird – I don't know if you remember during Jurassic Park there were these um, – like uh, paleontologists or whatever that were like kind of um, consultants to like Jurassic Park. I've been kind of doing a bit of that for film and television lately. So um, one thing that just got announced and there's going to be more information on it is a, a show uh, by Nick Lerton called Glitch Text, in which I was able to come in and um, be part of the, the story team and help develop this crazy world that's going to be this new series on uh, the, a new Nickelodeon series. And uh, that was really fun. It's a video game based series, uh, really amazing characters and the showrunners are amazing 
Um, so keep your eyes peeled for glitch techs. Uh, I'm really proud of that. And then soon I'll be able to talk about uh, a crazy feature film uh, that I've been kind of participating in too in the very same uh, way, which is going to be this video game uh, based film that's uh, <laughs> that it's even happening. <laughs> and so uh, that's going to be, it, it's, it's going to be announced and uh, we'll have some more. Uh, I'll be able to talk more about like my role and helping bring that world to life too. Jeez. Next you're going to tell me you're bringing back Nick arcade. Uh, you know what? I, I bet you like I, I'm almost in a position where it's like I can finally make it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I mean, I, you know what? The the show that I probably was the most like was appointment viewing. I think it was video challenge. You remember this? Yes. Yes. Where it was so good. You would get first like the, the host would give you some tips, uh, some tips. You would compete against other people and like turtles for the arcade turtles to the arcade game for nes and then the winner of the day would get to run through a maze that just had video games with velcro on the other side and as you could put as many video games on this like vest and this helmet and these arm pads and knee pads and stuff and then you'd have to run through a shoot sometimes there'd be like a freaking neo geo aes in there and stuff like just insane like huge high price stuff and like i Basically, my reasoning, I think they filmed it down in, in, in uh, Florida where I'd asked my mom, like, it was like a postcard thing to, like, get on the show. And it's in Florida. Can we is there a chance we can go to Florida this weekend so I can try to get on the show? And at six years old, uh, she politely <laughs> said, no, um, we cannot we cannot oh. afford to go to video challenge so you can get some get a copy of Batman. Because you ruined every- my life, Grandma. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, and, uh, and like most of those games were Sunsoft games. Like half the games were. So you get lots of copies of Batman and Batman <laughs> uh, Return Joker. Um, so yeah. Anyways, and also I will go back just to fact check myself. Panic Button did do those ports of, of Doom and Wolfenstein okay. and all that stuff because um, those are really good ports. Really interesting. They really ports are. Of those games. Um, all right. So Mike, I, I will I will let you go. I will head back to. My job. This is a really fun break for for my day, and it's always great to, you know, hang out in in chat and just pick your brain on all this stuff. And it's great to hear how well that you're doing. I mean, again, through digital eclipse and other ocean, and, and the work that you're doing on now TV and, and film and uh, RK One Up. Like, I, again, I, I just feel like you know you're just starting to hit your stride on this stuff, and I can't wait to see. I can continually can't wait to see what what the future brings for you. Oh, thank you. And and likewise, I can't wait to uh, have you hit the, the uh, fall of doom because oh, I'm really looking forward yeah, to that. I might have to do it now. Doom 3 is going to be finished first. And then Bethesda, come on, man. Make it so I don't need to log into my email because, again, Switch, unfortunately, is uh, that's where I'm playing lots of games these days. Once you're tired. You got to cover the old uh, mobile version of Doom. Remember that one? Uh, well, uh, we can talk about – I think there was Doom RPG. I had Doom RPG on my iPhone yeah. too. Like those uh, – I yeah. think those are really good. I mean Doom on the Game Boy – this is why – again, John Lenneman just does all the work. He just yeah. – he already did the video. So um, he's – oh, man. Doom's just a fun game stuff. to look at just because like the Super Nintendo version of Doom is how I play Doom. Yeah. Because that's all I had. Tw- all 20 yeah. frames a second of it. It was really good. <laughs> and I didn't care. It was, it was, it was so awesome. Um all right, well, I got to run. Thank you so much, yep. Mike. And thank you so much, everyone that tuned in this week. Please go to uh, patreon.com slash backmyplay if you want to support production of the show, help make it happen. And then, of course, at backmyplay on Twitter to stay updated on new episodes of Back My Play coming up. And again, before this, you probably heard Resident Evil 4. So hopefully that went well, you know, fingers crossed. So uh, thanks again, folks. And we'll see you again next time. Take care.